There's a, there's a poem that we had to memorize in grade school called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And it's a poem about a walk in the woods, apparently before deforestation and before a time when people would go hiking with Bluetooth speakers and boomboxes so the whole forest could be subject to your wonderful musical selection. It's a a poem about a walk in the woods. You know, yellow leaves, green grass, tall trees. And at the end of the poem, the author comes to this fork in the road. You can go this way or you can go that. And he closes out the poem by saying, Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Well, clearly Robert Frost has never driven the 405 or any of those crazy streets in Nepal where cars and buses and motorcycles and rickshaws and yaks are all going this way and that. No, it's two roads. Two roads diverged in a wood. Two options, we might say, this or that, either or. It's kind of like life sometimes. How often it is that we come to these forks in the road But I think, to be honest with you, a lot of the forks in the roads look a lot more like river deltas, where there's branches and offshoots going this way and that, innumerable, countless options, choices, decisions. But here's the thing. You you have to make a decision. You can't just stand there. You you have to go somewhere, and for better or for worse, whatever decision you make, it will make all the difference. On the western coast of Turkey, surrounded by the pagan influences of the Greeks and the Romans, with the Roman military might breathing down his neck and tasked with leading a a small group of Jesus followers out in the fields or in shops or in homes, young Timothy reads these words from his mentor Paul. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. But Paul, you know, like, it's so much easier just to take the other road, to do what I want to do, to say what I want to say. Love, faith, and purity? Come on, man. But in a a city that is dominated by wealth and power, in a place that is overwhelmed by the worship of a false goddess named Artemis, in a world running rampant with false teachers spouting off this new philosophy that sounds awfully Christian, but it's actually not. Timothy is tasked with the hard road, the hard road of leading a group of Jesus followers. And he's going to lead them down a thorny road, trying to deflect all of the the attacks of false teaching coming his way, all of it's creeping into the church. He is to help them organize themselves in terms of leadership and responsibility. And, And most importantly, he's trying to help them, trying to help them just to fight the good fight of the true faith. And so today we continue with our sermon series, The Good Fight, where we're studying the books, the letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. 
And today we're just gonna we're just gonna ask a very simple question. How do you know which road to take? So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to 1 Timothy? And before we get into the text today, let's pray and ask God for his wisdom and his guidance and his understanding. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and before we even get into the most important part of this sermon, which is your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. We want to hear from you. We want to bend and shape and transform our lives around your word and your purposes. We want to be your people. And so today, God, we just want to let go. Let go of the plans that we've made after. Let go of the, maybe the striving and the hopes and the dreams that, that we ourselves are, are striving after for our own selfish endeavors. We want to pick up your way and your will for our lives. We want to come to your word fresh and open today. We invite you to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 4 begins like this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. So bending their ears to the sexy sound of false teaching. They will turn, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites. That means a stage actor, someone who's wearing a mask. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead or literally, literally seared with a red hot iron to where they're totally burnt and desensitized, unable to know right from wrong. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Uh, okay, well, what, what, is, what is Paul talking about here? Like, is this some sort of, of marriage and diet plan that the church in Ephesus is being attacked by? Ditch the wife, only eat cabbage, whatever is happening here. It's some sort of false teaching that's creeping its way into the church, saying where the good things of God, marriage, and food are somehow being associated with evil. Well, that's not right. Like anyone who's ever opened up the Bible in the very first few pages of Genesis knows like God created it and it is good. So what Paul is, is addressing here, I think, is a religious extremism of asceticism gone overboard. Asceticism simply means severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. And it would be typically for religious reasons. And here in Ephesus, some so-called Christian false teachers are saying it's wrong to be married. It's wrong to eat certain foods. But they say that by doing this, they're being somehow super Christian. But Paul, in fact, is saying, no, that's not the case. You guys are sub-Christian. In fact, following the deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So, Timothy, you're a true teacher. You got to stand up and make things clear. Two roads diverge in a wood. And Timothy, Timothy, 
Choose your road. Verse six says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished. You get the play on words? Considering the ascetics who are saying, no, 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 you you can't eat certain things. No, 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 you can't get married. No, 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 they're probably eating snails or cabbage or raccoons or whatever. But no, 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 Timothy, you will be nourished, unlike those who suck the joy and the life and the fun out of what God has created and called good. You will be nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Ah, the old wives' tales. The wisdom of the ages passed down from generation to generation. And I have compiled some of the finest old wives' tales from history. Disclaimer, none of these statements have been evaluated by the FDA, so please do not try this at home. Number one, to get rid of warts, rub a piece of raw beef on those pesky bumps and bury the beef. (laughs) Apparently it works like a charm. Number two, for acne, catch the morning pee of a pregnant cow and dab it on your face and anywhere else if needed. Leave dry for 15 minutes and rinse. Repeat every morning until it is gone. Either the acne or the cow, I'm not sure. Uh, Number three, for a toothache, peel the bark off of a tickle tongue tree. You know what I'm talking about, right? The tickle tongue tree? And chew on it to instantly numb the pain. If you've got foot fungus, paint your feet with the paste of green walnuts and water. Or you could also just pee on them in the shower, apparently. For ear infections, drip a little urine into the ear canal. And I don't get this. I don't get this fascination that old wives have with urine. If your baby's got a diaper rash, use pure lard. It does the trick 60% of the time, every time. And lastly, for snake bites, apply raw eggs and milk or sardines to the wound. You'll probably still die, but at least you did something. But it's strange to me how like old wives' tales sound a lot like some of our our most popular modern day health trends. I know all the Karens with their, uh, you know, witch hazel and essential oil potions are fuming right now, but that's okay. Paul's point, I think, in this is, is actually kind of insulting the way he puts it. He's comparing the teaching of these false teachers to the wisdom of old wives' tales. In other words, he, he's saying that their wisdom in all their teaching is as wise as putting sardines on snake bites or urine in your ears. Don't go down that road. Verse 7, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. 
promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So put down the barbell, pick up the Bible. You already look swole, bro. So exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness is allowed. Burpees, diamond push-ups, I know you can all do them. I don't want demonstration right now. But the, the point is this. The training we do in godliness, it has benefits right now and forever. We all know what happens to the human body, you know? It gets beautiful and more, you know, prestigious and immaculate and amazing as we age. And I, I mean, I'm not even joking. I mean, I think we have like it all backwards, actually, in our mind. We have a, a false warped sense of beauty, I think, in our culture. And I wonder if we were to rewire our, our minds and our lives and our perceptions around the Word of God, how might we see beauty differently in our world? Hmm. That's something. But yeah, like diamond push-ups are great, but the Word of God, it lasts forever. This is a true and trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, not to earn salvation. It's not something that's works-based righteousness. There's no way that you can work yourself or earn yourself into the kingdom of God. No, this is just simply building character, living out our faith and our, our salvation in Jesus. For our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. It says this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. But do we though? Do we work hard and continue to struggle? I mean, I get Timothy's context here in Ephesus where it was illegal, where the church was being persecuted, where it was a near death sentence to say, Jesus is Lord. Because no, 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 Caesar is Lord. The Roman emperor is Lord. But this word that Paul uses in verse 10, our hope is in the living God who is the soter, the savior. The word, the word soter or savior was commonly used in Paul's day to refer to one person, the Roman emperor, Caesar. For Caesar is savior. But by using it here, it's totally illegal, but Paul doesn't care. He, he uses it here for God and Jesus in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. Paul is claiming that this God, this Jesus is the true savior above and over and against anyone or anything else. He's the one to rescue the world from decay and injustice and wrong and darkness. The savior is a hope of the nations, the king forever, the Messiah, the world's true Lord. And in knowing this truth, knowing this reality that shapes and transforms cultures and peoples and nations throughout all time and space and history. What do we do? We go to church, sing some songs, and try not to cuss. Amen. Training for godliness working hard, continuing to struggle? Nah, no, we, we don't want that road. Two roads, diversion, wood, and I, I, I took the easy one, man. Two roads, diverge in a wood, and I, I made sure it wasn't uphill. 
Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I called an Uber. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I actually don't go in the woods because like bears and wolves and allergies. It's ridiculous. But I think it might effectively summarize the trouble of the church. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one with recliners and entertainment value and AC and political opinions that jive with mine and like where I don't have to be offended or challenged or have my feathers ruffled in any way and it looks really cute and I, I don't have to like serve or help out or do anything. And of course, I make sure to follow the trends of Christianity in America today where I only go once every seven weeks. And that has made all the difference. It sure has. But what if instead of just focusing on a place at a certain time, on a certain day of the week, what if we focused instead on a purpose, being Jesus' hands and feet in this world, instead of just going to church, actually being the church? And that's not something that you can do alone. For that, community is required, and yet we have been so isolated. And I don't mean just the last two years because of COVID, we've been isolated. No, no, no. I mean for, for years before that, we've been isolated. We've bought into some individualistic nonsense that faith in Jesus is just about my personal relationship. My walk, my discipleship, it's about my worship experience. It's about my ticket to heaven. I love the paintings of Swedish Jesus. You know, the one with yellow hair and pale, milky skin and steel blue eyes. With a complexion like that in the Middle East, you need like SPF 80. I love these pictures where he's dressed like a Jedi and he's got like a lamb in one hand and the other he's flashing gang signs. And there's a saying on the picture and it says like, I died for you. I died for you. And yes, this is totally true. Minus the Jedi and the Swedish and gang sign stuff. I died for you. It's totally true. But you know, it's not just about you for you. It's about you for everyone else too. It's not just about you for you. It's about you for everyone else too. There's a preacher in Dallas named Tony Evans. And he said, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's how they talk in Texas. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. It's not just about you for you. It's about you for everyone else too. And when we grasp this, the focus becomes clearer. It's not on ourselves. It becomes greater than ourselves, and it becomes greater than this place, and it gets set onto a purpose of actually being the church, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And it sounds so radically simple, 
Until we realized two roads diverged in Wood and I, I took the one less traveled by, and it involved training for godliness and working hard and continuing to struggle and being in a community with people who aren't like me. And this one, they meet at a community center that's kind of ghetto. And you know what, though? That has made all the difference. Maybe in a small way, it's gotten people off drugs. Maybe in a small way, it's healed broken homes and removed the stains of guilt and shame. Maybe in a small way, it's given people a great purpose or it's brought friends to the lonely. Or maybe it's given comfort to the afflicted. Maybe it's turned mourning into dancing. Maybe it's brought eternal salvation. I'd say it's worth it. This training for godliness and working hard and continuing to struggle, actually being the church. Verse 11 says, Teach these things and insist that the pastoral staff, leaders of the church, and children's ministry learns them. No. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Learn what? The importance of training for godliness and working hard and continuing to struggle. That's what you get paid for, right? <laughs> Aren't you the pastor? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? The importance of training for godliness and working hard, continuing to struggle day in and day out, becoming more like Jesus, following him giving up everything for him by loving the world one person at a time, becoming and creating passionate world changers for Jesus. And guess what? Like with physical training, you know, like whether you do Pilates or Zumba or ice skating or surfing or swimming or running, golf doesn't count, uh, or soccer or hockey or badminton or pickleball or tennis or croquet, but golf doesn't count still. Whatever you do, not a sport. It's not a sport. It's like a freaking, they don't even have that in heaven. It's probably because it's I'm really bad at it. Jeff, uh, this is a sidebar, Jeff is like a pro golfer, amazing, right? And like, he's like Tiger Woods, but who looks like Joe Pesci and sounds like Joe Pesci. Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't have a pass as bad as Tiger Woods. I don't know where we're going with this, but we're going to figure it out along the way. So Jeff, uh, I took a class in college. It was PE. Uh, I wanted to do scuba diving, but they didn't offer at the time with my really busy schedule. And I took this golf class in college. And Jeff's like, cool, I'm a pro golfer. I'll help you. Here's some shoes. Here's some clubs. I'm like, all right, cool. It can't be that hard, right? And I get out there, and he's working with me, and he's, he just gives up. He gives up. He's like a range pro. Like, this is what he did for a living for years, was help people not be a screw-up when it comes to golf. He's like, I can't help you. I'm hitting the ball backwards. Uh, it, it was just a mess. That's why I don't like golf. But anyways, uh, with real sports other than golf, you build up a stamina <laughs> to say, long way, but we got there finally. You build up a stamina, and the more that you do it, whatever it is, the more that you do it, it doesn't become easier, but it becomes more doable, 
more doable. This is what it says in verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. And I told my grandma this on her 80th birthday a few years ago. Um, I told her, I'm like, hey, grandma, you know, like Moses was 80 years young when God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Like 80 years young, baby. I didn't call her baby, but I told her that you are a spring chicken in the kingdom of God. Just a spring chicken, 80 years young. So don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Instead, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Ah, but Paul, it's so much easier just to do what I want to do. You know, take the other road. Say what I want to say. Love, faith, purity? Come on, man. <laughs> but how you live says everything about what you believe. And I don't know, you could probably look at that the other way. Well, what you believe, you know, dictates how you live. And sure, in, in some regard. But I really think what people see and what really matters and what's really important is how you live says everything about what you believe. Or it doesn't. How you live says everything about what you believe. And verse 13 says, Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Even when the world is noisy with uproar, when the voices are screaming at you to go this way or go that, and it's all terribly confusing, when it feels sometimes like society has been seared with a red-hot iron and it's totally burnt and, and desensitized to where we're unable to notice the difference between wrong and right, like, what do you do? What do you do? Well, you keep a close watch on how you live. Because how you live says everything about what you believe. You know, there, there's a lot of nonsense out there putting sardines on snake bites or urine in your ear, ditch the wife, eat only cabbage. But what is really nourishing? What is really nourishing? It's fighting the good fight. It's finishing the race. It's keeping the faith. Realizing the truth of Jesus, the soter, the Savior, I died for you. It's totally true, but it's not just about you for you. It's about you for everyone else too. So put down the barbell, pick up the Bible, you already look swole, bro. Instead, exercise daily in God. Training for godliness and working hard, continuing to struggle, actually being the church, that has and can make all the difference. 
you know, when the road before you looks like the 405 or any of those crazy streets like in Nepal where the cars and the buses and the rickshaws and the yaks and the motorcycles are all going this way and that. When the two roads diverge in a wood before you look more like river deltas, stay true to what is right. Even when the world is noisy with uproar, stay true to what is right. The voice of God, his word and his way. Stay true to what is right. When the voices are screaming at you to go this way and that, and it's all just terribly confusing, when you're pushed and pulled in this or that direction, and it's all terribly confusing. God forbid, God forbid, please no, don't do it. Don't, I'm begging you, please, 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 no, don't. Two roads diverge in a wood and I. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club, other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. It said right, it said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a what, lake I there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. OK. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Leighton. Right Are you OK? I got you! I got you! Michael! 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 